0: to see ya, All of us who got invited by no one to go on a spring break trip, right? We're <laughs> here together. That's all right. That's okay. It's all good. But well, hey, listen, before we dive in, uh, as Jason just said a moment ago, I want to piggyback on what he started in talking about bless and tell you about the giving component, okay? I, I shared this last Sunday if you were here, uh, but all month long throughout April, everything we give together as a church, we're sending it right back out the doors to do ministry out there, okay? Uh, We have set a giving goal of $228,000 for the month, and we're going to invest all that money into three categories. Number one is community engagement. So we're going to fund multiple Hope for Christmas sites, pay for all of our Blessed Weekend projects, all of our Serve Saturday projects, things like that. Uh, We're also going to invest in world engagement. So this is ongoing work happening in Burkina Faso, Bolivia, uh, now Guatemala. That's where our students are this week. And then a brand new work that's happening in Scotland. We'll send our first team to Scotland later this year. And one of the things I'm really excited about is a project in Burkina. We're actually going to help start a brand new Compassion International site this year. And so a few hundred kids will have the opportunity to be released from poverty in Jesus' name. We get to be a part of that. And then the third category is church planting, okay? Uh, we're going to send two guys out later this year to start churches, and we're going to invest heavily in those ventures. So, I said this last week, I'm going to keep saying it. If you already give to Cross Point, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. That is where all your money's going over the next month, okay? So, just know that. Uh, if this is your church and you're not already giving to Cross Point, I just want to invite you in, okay? Uh, the month of April is a great time to start contributing to the mission of the church. Because as I just told you, like, you know exactly where your money is going, and it's going to make a huge difference in ministry that's happening all over the community and the world, okay? If you have questions about any of that, just feel free to stop out at the Next Steps table. We'd love to talk to you, uh, but just be in prayer this week about what God would have you give, okay? Awesome. All right, well, hey, if you have a Bible with you, grab it. We are in week uh, 22 of a series on the book of Genesis, and we're going to be in Genesis 22 together. Genesis chapter 22. Uh, Anybody hear the story from a couple weeks ago of this guy who got arrested for keeping the 86-inch TV that was delivered to his house by mistake? Anybody hear the story? Okay, this guy lives in Massachusetts, so probably a Patriots fan. You know, sounds like something a Patriots fan would do, right? (laughs) I love you Patriots fans in the room. I'm still bitter. I know it's been two years, but yes, I'm still bitter, but But this guy, listen, he orders this 74-inch TV off of Amazon, and when the delivery service showed up to his house with his TV, they also brought with them an 86-inch TV that he hadn't ordered, hadn't paid for. Yet instead of saying to them, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, there's been a terrible mistake, that's not my TV, you should take it back, Uh, this guy said, thank you very much, brought it into his house, and proceeded to mount it on his living room wall. Well, when the delivery service realized their mistake, they obviously reached out to him, uh, but the guy wouldn't return their calls. so they got the police involved. And you would think that anybody with a brain, if the police were involved, just going to give the TV back, but no, 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 not this guy. He was holding on for dear life, and so eventually he was arrested and charged with both larceny and misleading a police officer. Now, all right, look, before we judge the guy too harshly, can we just have an honest moment together? Yes? And tell the truth because we are in church, all right? Listen, if we were in his shoes, most of us in the room would have been tempted in some way to do what he did. Am I right? Come on, tell, don't look at me like that, you know. Like, listen, you may have not kept the TV, but you would have at least thought about it, wouldn't you? Just for a second. Like, I wonder if I can get away with this. Why? Why? Why would most of us in the room be tempted to keep the TV? Well, it's simple because as human beings, we understand that it is really difficult to give up something valuable, right? Uh, It's really hard to let go of something that you love that is given to you. This is true of possessions. It's true of people. It's true when it comes to positions of power, even certain pleasures in life. Yet what we see in our text for today is this, that at times in order to test our faith, Giving up something valuable is exactly what God asks us to do. Check it out. Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. We're just going to chip away at this thing, okay? The Bible says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. So in this opening verse of the chapter, we see what I just said. That at times, God tests our faith. And why does God test our faith? Why does God test our faith? Well, I touched on this earlier in the series, but according to James, the brother of Jesus, what he writes in James 1, 3 through 4, God tests us to grow us. God tests us to grow us. And this makes a whole lot of sense when you think about the purpose of a test, doesn't it? Uh, Some of you know that currently I am working on a master's degree in Christian leadership. And right now I'm taking a class on the Apostle Paul along with his writings to many of the churches that he planted. And here's what I know, because I've already looked at the syllabus. At the end of the semester, I have to take a test, a final exam. And that test will prove what I know, it'll expose what I don't know, and I'll have the clarity that I need to keep growing in my understanding and application of what I've studied. Listen, in a similar way, that's why God tests us. He tests us to show us what we know, to expose what we don't know, and to grow us as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, the next question is, how does God test us? How does God test us? Well, he does it in a couple of ways. Number one, uh, sometimes he tests us by allowing certain trials and hardships to enter our lives. And come on, we all know what that's like, don't we? Something difficult happens, something unexpected occurs, and that thing that you're going through forces you to depend on the Lord in ways that maybe you've never depended on him before. And as a result, God uses it to grow you and to make you more like Jesus. But then secondly, at other times, God will test you by asking you to give something up. He'll just say to you, hey, uh, that thing you're holding on to for dear life, that thing you are working so hard to control, Uh, that thing that you treasure most. You know, it's that thing that you look to for value, worth, security, identity. God will say at times, I want that. I want that. I want you to give that to me. Just let it go, sacrifice it, and I want you to do it to prove that you trust me and you love me above all else in life. And look, this is exactly what God asks Abraham to do in our passage. Look at verse two. He said, take your son. Listen to this. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, come on. I don't care who you are in the room today. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you know, like I know, on a surface level, this request from God seems completely unthinkable and completely unreasonable, doesn't it? unthinkable because number one who asks someone to kill their own child and especially in the way God asks Abraham to do it he says to him I want you to offer your son as a burnt offering okay the uh, process for offering a burnt offering which Abraham would have been very familiar with was this you first cut the throat of the animal you were offering and you drained all of its blood from its body you would then cut the body into pieces dismember it cut off each of its limbs The next step was you built a fire on an altar, and then you proceeded to put the pieces of that animal's body on the altar until the entire body was completely consumed. That is what God is asking Abraham to do in this moment with his own son. Parents in the room, can you imagine? I'm going to have two little girls at home that I love more than life itself, and I cannot fathom being asked to do something like that. It is unthinkable. But as I said a moment ago, it was also unreasonable unreasonable because of the circumstances and the promises that surrounded Isaac's birth. I mean, we can't forget today, this was a miracle child, right? You remember this? Uh, Before he got there, Abraham and Sarah, they had no kids of their own because Sarah was barren. Yet at 90 years old, God did the impossible and he opened her barren womb and she gave birth to Isaac. And through Isaac, God told Abraham, I'm going to make good on all the promises I made you 25 years ago. Promises to bless him to make his name great, to make him the father of a great nation, to bless all the families of the earth through him. And now in this moment, God is asking him to sacrifice that son. I mean, if you were in his shoes, can you imagine the questions that would be running through your mind? Uh, Hey, God, have you lost your mind, for starters? I mean, I know all my former pagan friends, they still make child sacrifices to their gods, but I didn't think he rolled like that. And um, God, secondly, why don't you help me out with this? What am I supposed to tell Sarah, my wife, Hey, babe, I'll be gone for a few days, going to kill our miracle child that we waited on for 25 years because God told me to love you, be back soon. Or, hey, God, what about the promises you made me? What about the future you said you have for me? What about the hope you've given me? I mean, God, you're just taking all that back. Is it completely off the table? Here's what I find so fascinating and even somewhat shocking. Abraham says none of that. Instead, he simply obeys. Look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. What we see here in the text is immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. He doesn't argue with God. He doesn't question God. Um, he doesn't get out his Bible and look for a verse that he can rip out of context to excuse his disobedience to God Abraham, listen, Abraham doesn't even ask God if he can pray about it for a few days. Come on, this is something we as Christians are really bad about at times, right? Using prayer as our excuse for inaction. We know what we're supposed to do, but because we don't want to do it, we pray about it. (laughs) Come on, don't look at me like that. You know you're guilty too. Abraham does none of those things, but instead, without hesitation, he gets up early the next morning. I'm assuming after a really bad night of sleep. And he saddles his own donkey, and he cuts the wood for the offering, which causes me to think that his heart was absolutely breaking at this point, that deep emotions of sorrow and grief were beginning to flow through his veins. And here's why I think that. Uh, for starters, he saddled his donkey before he cut the wood. The logical thing to do would be to cut the wo- wood, and then to saddle your donkey, so your donkey's not standing there the whole time, Well let's saddle on as you cut your firewood, right? He did it backwards, which causes me to think again that either his brain was in the off position or at the very least, he wasn't thinking clearly. And you know, like I know, stress can do that to a person. But in addition, Abraham had servants who could have and should have done all that work for him. I mean, we've touched on this earlier in the series, but Abraham was a very, very wealthy man. Men like him didn't saddle their own animals. Men like him didn't cut their own firewood. And so I can almost hear him in distress just saying to his guys, listen, I have to do this myself, okay? I know you want to serve me, and I know that's what I pay you for, but I don't need you doing this right now. Like, I just need to do this. You just wait on me. I need some time here. See, I think Abraham's just looking for anything to do to distract his mind for a few moments for what happens next. Keep reading with me. Look at verse 4. and he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. Look, have you have been sitting in your seat this whole time wondering to yourself, how in the world did he do it? How did he do it? How did Abraham obey God so quickly when this ask from God was so unthinkable, so unreasonable? I mean, how did he as a parent push past all the emotions he had to be feeling to do what God asked him to do? Well, we find the answer in the verses we just read, and the answer is simply this. Faith. Faith. Abraham obeyed God because of his faith in God. And I'll explain, okay? Uh, We defined faith earlier in the series, but I thought it would be really important for us to do that again today. And so faith, by definition, is this. Confidence that God is who he says he is and will do all that he's promised to do. And if you're taking notes, you might wanna write that definition down somewhere. Faith, let me say it again. Faith is confidence that God is who he says he is And that he'll do what he's promised to do. So, contrary to popular opinion, faith is not hopeful, wishful thinking. I hope things get better. Hope my situation turns around. Hope life starts heading in the direction I want it to go. That's not faith. Uh, But neither is faith blind optimism. You know, I'm just going to believe the best in spite of not knowing what the future holds. No, instead, faith is you and I being confident that everything God says about his character is true and every promise he's made will come to pass. And my friends, that's the type of confidence we see in Abraham. I mean, I want you to think about this. Okay, he travels for three days, finally gets to the place of sacrifice. God says, okay, slam on the brakes, dude, you're here. He starts to unload his son, starts to unload the wood, and he looks at his servants and he says to them, stay here. We you guys to stay here. Uh, me and my boy, we're going to go over there. We're going to worship the Lord. And both of us are coming back. And they take a walk. And as they're walking, Isaac, he's looking around, a little confused. And he goes, hey, pops, uh, I see the fire and I see the wood. Where is the lamb for this offering we're about to make? And Abraham says, hey, buddy, don't you worry about that. God will provide for himself the lamb. That's faith. Abraham had no idea how God would do it. All he knew is that somehow, way, God would intervene and save his son's life. Why? Because God was committed to keeping his word to him. And we find proof of this in the New Testament. I want you to listen to what the book of Hebrews says. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. The writer says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And listen to this next part. He considered, so Abraham considered, that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Okay, this is insane. Here's the writer of Hebrews telling us that as Abraham is preparing to sacrifice his own son, this thought is running through his mind. Okay, you know what? Even if God lets me do this, he's powerful enough to raise my boy from the dead. And so even if he allows me to follow through, I'm sure that he'll just bring him back to life because there's no way God is going to break his word to me. That is incredible faith. You see, at this point in history, bodily resurrection wasn't even a concept because no one had ever been raised from the dead. And so for Abraham to come to a conclusion like that on his own Well, it reveals his unshakable confidence in both the character and the uh, promises of God. And here's what we learn from that. Here's what we learn from Abraham's confidence. We learn that we can obey God in spite of what we feel because of what we know. If you take a note, just write that down, let it sit on your heart and your mind for a moment. We're gonna unpack this. We learn that we can obey God in spite of what we feel because of what we know. Listen, one of the most difficult parts of of experiencing a test of faith is not realizing at first that you're experiencing a test of faith. Like all you know is that God is asking you to do something that seems completely unthinkable and completely unreasonable, and you don't feel like doing it. And I know this to be true from my own life experiences, okay? Uh, A little over seven years ago, when I was asked to become the pastor of this church, I wasn't feeling it. In fact, my original answer was, nope, I'm good, thanks. Find somebody else. See, this church was beat up. It was wounded. It had just gone through a major crisis that often cripples and kills churches. And I had no desire to be the guy to come in after all that. But the pastor who asked me to come here asked me to pray about it. Yeah, be careful what you pray about, my friends, all right? So I told him I would. And to keep my integrity, I actually did. And I kid you not, within two weeks, my wife and I are looking at each other going, dang it, we shouldn't have prayed about it. I think God wants us to go. (laughs) And here's what we knew. We knew that going would not be easy. And we didn't feel like coming to this church. Because we knew, listen, that going would mean leaving behind a very uh, incredible, thriving student ministry I was leading at the time. I mean, I was a student pastor to seven to 800 students at an incredible church not far from here. And we were in the midst of one of the most unbelievable seasons of ministry I've ever experienced. We knew that it would mean uh, leaving behind some of the best friends we'd ever known. These were friends that were there when my daughters were born. Uh, friends that were there when my brother-in-law died Unexpectedly. I mean, they were with us in the highest of highs, lowest of lows in life. We knew that coming here would mean leaving behind a house that we loved, and a neighborhood we loved, and a community that we loved, and basically starting life over with a five month old baby in a brand new place with brand new people. And we knew it would also mean uh, me doing a job that I had no idea how to do in a church that I didn't know was going to survive. And so in many ways, coming here meant sacrificing our security, giving up our most treasured relationships. Uh, It meant handing over to God the very things that we were tempted to look to for identity and importance. And in spite of how we felt, we did it for two reasons. Number one, we knew God was calling us to it. But number two, we knew that the promises of God were true. That God promised to care for us to be with us every step of the way, to provide for everything we needed, to empower us for the work that he was calling us to do and to be for us all that we needed him to be on our behalf as we walked in obedience to him. And looking back on it now, I am so glad we said yes. So glad we said yes. Because not only have we had a front row seat to God's faithfulness in the life of this church and it has been unbelievable and you know that if you've been here for a while, Uh, But also throughout this season, God has grown my faith in ways that I don't know would have happened otherwise. Listen, here's what I bet. I bet there are some of you in this room right now looking at me who are wrestling today like I was wrestling seven years ago. Right now in this season, God is testing your faith and he is asking you to do something that you don't feel like doing. Okay, maybe God's asking you to downgrade your lifestyle so that you can invest more generously in his church and in his kingdom. Uh, Maybe God is asking you to leave behind your career or your profession and to pursue a ministry opportunity. Maybe God is asking some of you to adopt or foster some children even though your children are grown and about to be out of your house. Finally, right? Or maybe single person in the room, single person. Maybe God is asking you to break off that dating relationship that you're in that you know isn't good for you and to trust that He has something better. Listen, I don't know what it is for you, But you do. You know what God is asking you to do that you don't feel like doing. And here's the question. Why should you do it? Why should you obey God in spite of what you feel? Because of what you know to be true. That God is faithful in character. He is faithful to His Word. He provides for His people and all of His promises will come to pass. And that's exactly what we see in the next set of verses. Look at this. Verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there. And he laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord, I love buts in the Bible, okay? Like, buts are really important in the Bible because... Oftentimes, God is doing something really significant. So pay attention to that. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For, you, for I know uh, now that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, and he took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, in these verses, we find what I believe is one of the more surprising parts of the story, which is Isaac's willingness to be sacrificed. You see, I need you to understand today, Abraham didn't drag along a toddler for this event. Uh, It's believed that Isaac was somewhere between 14 and 16 years of age when this happened. Which means his dad, Abraham, who was 100 years old when he was born, was probably in the ballpark of 115. And I tell you that to say this. If Isaac didn't want to be sacrificed, he wasn't going to be sacrificed. But all he had to do was push the old man over and run, and it was done, right? (laughs) Yet, yet, here he is bound on top of the altar, ready to lay his life down. How does that happen? How does a dad convince his teenage son to become a sacrifice? All the parents of teenagers in the room are leaning in like, please tell me, I need to know how to get my teenager to do anything I tell him to do. What's the key? <laughs> Can I tell you what I think? Again, this is not in the text. This is just James speculating, but here's what I think. I think over the course of his 14 to 16 years on this planet that Abraham, his dad, taught him how to trust God. Parents in the room, hear me. It is so important for you to teach your kids how to trust God. So important. And I believe that Abraham probably taught Isaac to trust God by just telling him over and over again the story of his miraculous birth and all the promises that would come to pass because of him. And I could just hear God, or I'm sorry, I can just hear Abraham in this moment retelling that story just very lovingly again. Hey, Isaac, buddy, come here. You remember how you got here, right? You remember that your mom and I waited on you for 25 years. I mean, buddy, we were old. We were way past our baby-making days. Didn't think we'd ever have kids of our own. And then God performed a miracle. And he brought you into this world and he told me himself that through you he would do everything he promised me that he would do. That our descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky. Outnumber the sand on the seashore. Isaac, you remember God told me, buddy, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed because of us. And son, I know it makes no sense for me to ask you to do what I'm asking you to do in light of all that. But we have to obey God and we have to trust him to keep his word. And that's exactly what God does, isn't it? Here's Abraham. He's at the point where he's literally about to drop the knife into his son's body. And the angel of the Lord calls out from heaven, Whoa, 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 Abraham, stop, 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 stop. Don't do anything. Drop the knife. Please step away. Pass the test. Okay, I see through your obedience that you fear the Lord. And I just imagine Abraham, he's probably shaking He's hugging his boy tighter than he ever had before and he looks over and he sees this ram, this male sheep caught by its horn in some kind of thicket and he goes over and he gets the ram and he brings it back and he sacrifices it on this altar in Isaac's place as an act of worship to God. And then I love this. He proceeds to name that place of sacrifice the Lord will provide. And I want you to see what happens next. Verse 15 And so Abraham returned to the young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. So for a second time, the angel of the Lord calls from heaven, and he relays a direct message from the Lord himself. Okay, the Lord makes an oath here. I swear by myself that I will do all I've promised to do because of what you've done. Now, look, it's really important for us to understand what God is and isn't doing in this moment, okay? What God isn't doing is rewarding Abraham's obedience with new promises. What God is doing is using Abraham's obedience to confirm some really old promises. But if you remember back to Genesis 15, if you've been here for the series, uh, in that chapter, God makes an unconditional covenant with Abraham. An unconditional covenant was a covenant in which only one party carried all the responsibilities. It depended on one person. And so in that chapter, God basically says to him, Abraham, I've made you all these promises and I want you to know, regardless of what you do or don't do, I'm going to do my part. I will come through. And if I break my word to you, you can slaughter me and kill me. And so again, you have to understand here in Genesis 22, this is not God blessing Abraham's obedience per se. No, this is him using Abraham's obedience to assure him of blessings that were already his. Is this making sense? Y'all with me? Listen, here's what we learned from that. And this is the big idea of today's message, of today's passage. So if you're taking notes, write this down and we'll start to close with this. What we learn from the text is that God tests and God provides. That God tests and God provides. So in other words... God not only tests our faith to grow us, but He also provides all that we need and He keeps all of His promises as we exercise faith in Him. And here's the big question. Why should you believe that today? Why should you believe that? Like, why should you believe that the same God who tests you is the same God who provides for you? Can I give you the really simple answer? If you take a note, you can just write this down in big block letters. Because of Jesus Why should you live? Because of Jesus. Listen, I don't know if you caught the many ways that this text that we're in today points to Jesus, but in case you missed them, I wanna point them out for you, okay? Listen to this. In Genesis 22, what we find, let me get back to my notes here. We find a, a loving father who is fully prepared to give up the life of his very own son. The very wood that the son is meant to die on is strapped to his back and he carries it to the place of sacrifice. When he reaches the place of sacrifice, he willingly submits to his father, and he's fully prepared to lay down his life in humility as an act of obedience. But I believe the most beautiful picture of Jesus that we see here in our passage is seen in the substitution of the ram. You see, an animal died in Isaac's place so that Isaac could go free. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us, isn't it? Right, 2,000 years ago, Jesus became our substitute. He died in our place for our sins to free us from spiritual bondage and to restore us back into a right relationship with God. And as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8.32, like if that's what God would do for us, if He would provide for us in that way, giving up the life of His own Son to meet our deepest and greatest need, our spiritual need, will not God graciously give us all things? The answer to that question is yes. Yes. Yes, God will graciously give us all things. And so again, the point is simply this. The same God who tests you to grow you by saying at times to you, give that up, let that go, lay that down, sacrifice that, hand that over to me. He's the same God who will provide for you and keep all of his promises to you and what he's done for you through his son Jesus Christ is the ultimate proof of that reality. And so as we close today, here's my encouragement. Please don't miss this. If your faith is being tested right now or when your faith is tested in the future, and it will be, you know that, right? Like if you're not being tested right now, it's coming for you. So just brace yourself, get ready. When your faith is being tested, here's what you do. You ready? You fix your eyes on Jesus and you let go. You fix your eyes on Jesus and you let go. And listen, I know you don't want to do it. I know. I know you don't feel like it. I know that doing that pushes back against everything that feels natural and comfortable to you. And I know that what God is asking some of you to do right now, completely unthinkable, completely unreasonable, and in love, here's what I wanna say, do it anyway. Fix your eyes on Jesus and do it anyway, remembering that God cares for you. He loves you. He's with you. He's your good Father who only has good things for you. He is committed to walking you through whatever He's asking you to do. And so fix your eyes on Jesus and let go. My friends, I know that's a whole lot easier said than done, isn't it? And so what we need is the power of the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us to help us do this. So can we just pray for that right now? Just All over the room, let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I'm gonna invite our prayer team to come and to get in their places. And again, I I just wanna invite you to pray right now over that thing in your life. Some of you are being tested. Some of you are being called out by the God of the universe to lay something down, to give something up, to hand something over to do something that feels really, really uncomfortable, really, really irrational. And why don't you just pray right now and just say to the Holy Spirit that's in you, Holy Spirit, just pry my hands open. Lift my eyes and help me see Jesus and pry my hands off of this thing that I'm holding on to for dear life. Just ask him, Holy Spirit, help me to let go. Help me to trust God. Help me to be confident in his character and in his words. Just pray. Whatever that thing is in your life, just lift your heart up to the Lord right now. So as many of you are praying, um, I have to imagine that there are others in this room who need to let go of your life for the very first time. And what I mean by that is simply this. Uh, Up until this point, you have just been pushing God off, pushing God off, pushing God off. Doing life without him, doing life apart from him. Like in reality, right now, you're your own God. You're calling all your own shot. You're just living life how you want to live life. God has been an afterthought. There's never been a point for you personally where you have put your faith in the sacrifice God made on your behalf. Or you've never trusted Jesus The one who died to pay for your sins, the one who rose again to give you a hope and a future. But maybe today, for the very first time, you have realized that's what I have to do. It's time for me to put my faith in the God who created me and to let go of my life and to hand myself over to him. Listen, if that's you, just wherever you're seated, I want to help you do that right now. Just in prayer, in faith, why don't you just say something like this to God? Just tell him, God... I am letting go of my life today. I'm placing me in your hands. I believe that out of love for me, that you gave up your son, that he died to pay the penalty for my sins so that I could be loved and accepted by you. But I also believe that he rose from the dead to give me hope and to give me eternal life with you. And so God, would you forgive me today? save me, take control of my life and make me into the person you've created me to be. God, I, I let go and I say yes to Jesus. Look, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed all over the room, if you just pray that with me, I wanna ask you to do me a simple favor. Just wherever you are, would you just lift a hand to let us know you made that decision? Just throw it up. Our, our prayer team has a resource. Thank you so much. Our prayer team has a resource that they want to come and put in your hand. And as soon as you receive it, you can place your hand back down. Thank you so much. Anybody else, James, that's me. Put my faith in Jesus for the first time today. Awesome. God, we want to thank you yet again for your faithfulness. I thank you that we can trust you, that we can trust your word. God, even when what you're asking us to do may make no sense to us at all. And God, my prayer is that we would be people who every day get out of bed and we just remember Jesus and we set our sights on him and we remember what you've done. We remember that you're committed to keep all your promises to us through Jesus, regardless of what we do. And God, I pray that that would become our motivation every day to trust you, to exercise faith, to walk in obedience, to put your character and kingdom on display in our world. But again, God, we need your help. And so, Father, empower us by the Holy Spirit. By your spirit that lives in us, transform us more and more into the image and likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. We know we can't do it on our own. God, in love and in grace, Um, God, some of us need you to do this. Would you just pry our hands open? Help us to live a life with hands open. That's what we want. God, we love you and we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen.